God, we just invite your Holy Spirit in this room. God, just as if we were there with you on that night on the Mount of Olives, God, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, that you would make it real to us that the Son of Man, the Son of God, came and died for our sins. God, I think about my sins, Lord. I think about those things you've saved me from. I think about where I was before Christ. I think about where I would be without Christ. And Lord, how I've often denied you and how I've often forsaken you, but yet you've been faithful that even when I was a sinner, Lord, you would die for me. So God, we just be still just for a moment. God, we turn everything off and say, Lord Jesus, we look to you. Holy Spirit, fill this room, fill our hearts, oh God. Lord, we're here to worship you. We're just going to be still just for a moment, just before we get into the, the program of tonight. Let's just be still just for a moment and just recognize that Jesus withdrew from the crowds on that night to be still and meditate and pray about what he had come this far to do. Thursday evening, the disciples and Jesus ate the Passover meal. During the meal, Jesus wrapped himself in a towel and washed the disciples' feet. He prophesied his body would be broken and his blood poured out for many and they took the meal together. Yet troubled, Jesus stated one would betray him. John, seated to Jesus' right, reclined back toward Jesus' chest and asked who it would be. Then Jesus dipped bread in the cup and gave the bread to Judas as a gesture of love and friendship. After eating it, Satan possessed Judas and Jesus sent him out to accomplish the task. For he had already arranged to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the, place, the price of a slave. On the Mount of Olives they worshipped, and he commanded them to love one another and promised them the Holy Spirit. Then they went down to the side of the mountain to an olive garden called Gethsemane. There Jesus prayed in deep grief while the disciples found fought sleep. He knelt and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared and strengthened him, yet in such agony and fervent prayer, his sweat became like drops of blood. While Jesus was yet asking the disciples to remain awake and pray, Judas returned with the Roman cohort, the commander, the Jewish officials, and a crowd with torches, swords, and clubs. He kissed Jesus, saying, Hail, teacher. Jesus said to Judas, Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Friend, do what you have come for. Then Jesus asked the crowd, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth, to which he replied, I am he. At this they drew back and fell to the ground. 
Jesus asked again and offered himself, allowing his disciples to go free. Yet the disciples asked if they should fight, and before Jesus could answer, Peter drew his sword and cut off the ear of the slave of the high priest. Jesus commanded them to stop and said to Peter, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that I must go this way? Then Jesus touched the man's ear and healed him. So Jesus surrendered himself and was arrested illegally in the shuffle, and the disciples all left him and fled. Now it became very early Friday morning. The high priest Caiaphas, the other chief priests, elders, and scribes gathered together in secret and questioned Jesus in order to find false witnesses and gain a reason to put him to death. Eventually, two men came forward to bear false witness. Meanwhile, John, knowing the high priest, quietly entered. Peter followed, sitting down in a dark courtyard near a fire with the officers to see and hear the outcome. Yet three times, three individuals would, would, ask, would accuse Peter of being with Jesus, and each time he would deny it. At the final time, flustered, he denied it, cursing and swearing, I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed for mourning, and Jesus looked at Peter, seeing Jesus. Peter realized what he had done and left weeping bitterly. The council asked him, if you are Christ, tell us. Yet Jesus said, if I tell you, you will not believe. Again, they asked, if you are the son of God, then he said to them, yes, I am. And yes, you have said it. Matthew 26, 64. So they tore their clothes and condemned him to death for the crime of blasphemy. And they could not perform this sentence. They decided to bind him and deliver him to Pilate, the Roman governor, as an agitator of the people. They then split, they then spit at Jesus, blindfolded him, beat him with their fists, mocked him, and handed him over to the Jewish officers who also beat him. Following Judas, following Judas seeing that Jesus was condemned, felt remorse and returned the silver, confessing he had sinned. Yet they would have nothing to do with his confessions. So Judas threw the silver in the temple sanctuary and left, hanging himself. Now early Friday morning, Pilate heard the case against Jesus by the chief priest. In an effort to sentence him to death, the priest started stated Jesus was misleading the nation and forbidding Jews to pay taxes and calling himself a savior, king, against Caesar's sovereignty. Yet Jesus did not answer nor defend himself. Failure to present a defense would normally bring an automatic verdict of guilty. So Pilate, not wishing to judge him, told the priests to judge him themselves. But they insisted he was guilty of death, and under Roman law, they could not carry out such a sentence. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate said, So you are a king? To which Jesus replied, It is as you say. The priests continued to insist of his agitation of the people of Judea and Galilee. 
Still, Jesus would not respond to the accusations of the chief priests and elders. Hearing he was from Galilee, Pilate sent him to Herod, the Tetrarch. Herod, hoping to see miracles, questioned Jesus at length. There also the chief priests and scribes continued to accuse him, but Jesus remained silent. Thus Herod was displeased and unimpressed. So he mocked him, dressed him in a rich robe, and sent him back to Pilate. Pilate, still finding neither fault nor, nor a crime deserving of a Roman death, offered to punish by scourging and release Jesus, as was custom for any who were brought before the Roman government. Further, it was custom at Passover to appease the people by releasing one prisoner, he offered to release Jesus, calling him Christ Messiah, antagonizing the priest, knowing it really was for envy that they handed him over. Yet Pilate's wife urged him to have nothing to do with Jesus, for he was a righteous man, and she had been warned in a dream. Nevertheless, the chief of priests stirred the crowd to release Barabbas, a notorious man, a robber who committed murder in the insurrection. Again, Pilate asked which man he should release, and the crowd, the crowd cried Barabbas, to which Pilate asked again, antagonizing the priest, what he should do with Jesus, who is called Christ Messiah, the King of the Jews. They cried to Pilate to crucify him. Yet Pilate, trying to satisfy the crowd, desired to have Jesus whipped and flogged. Yet, seeing their zeal to crucify him, he had Jesus scourged, a severe beating that preceded crucifixion, and through which the victims sometimes died. Thus Jesus was tied to a post and was severely beaten to near death with a whip, weighted with jagged pieces of bone. Then the soldiers took him to the praetorium and called to the Roman and called the whole Roman battalion. They dressed him in purple, put a reed in his right hand, and placed a twisted crown of thorns on him. They mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They kept beating his head with the reed, spitting on him, and bowing before him. Following, Pilate brought him out, wearing a crown of thorns and a purple road, hoping to satisfy the crowd for Jesus' release. Yet when the chief priests saw him, they cried, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate again made efforts to release him, but the people threatened to denounce Pilate to, the, to Rome under the law of treason, and the crowd neared rioting. In total, three times Pilate questioned their response, yet each time they cried, Crucify him! So Pilate washed his hands, stating, I am innocent of this man's blood. The crowd responded, his blood shall be on us and our children. So he released Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? But the chief of priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he sent Jesus to be crucified. Despite the objection of the priest, Pilate wrote the inscription, Jesus of Nazarene, the king of the Jews, in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the soldiers took off the purple robe and they put back on his own garments and they sent him to be crucified. 
Along the way, a crowd followed, including women who often followed Jesus, and they cried for him. Jesus took up the crossbar of his cross, but due to the scourging and severe beating, along the way they made a passerby. Simon of Cyrene bare his cross and walked behind him. Along with him were two criminals, and they brought them in front of the hill Golgotha, which means place of the skull or Calvary. And outside the city gates, along the road, and it was 9 a.m. Friday, and they crucified him. They stripped him of his garments and fixed his arms to the crossbar with nails and raised the crossbar into position. Then they fixed his feet to the post with nails. But Jesus was saying repeatedly, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And there he hung publicly. They intended him to die slowly over the next several days of thirst and hunger and exhaustion and exposure and from the trauma of scourging. But it was Jewish custom to offer an opiate to dull the pain, and so they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh. But after tasting it, he rejected it. Then soldiers divided up his garments and cast lots for his tunic, and above him it read, The King of the Jews. It was a crime of high treason against Caesar's sovereignty, and he was numbered with the transgressors. The robbers and those who walked along the road, they had verbally abused and mocked him, saying, If you can save yourself, come down from the cross. You can save others, but he can't save himself. Yet one robber admitted his fault and stated Jesus' innocence, stating, Remember me in paradise. And truly, I say to you, Jesus said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. And near the cross was Mary, his mother, her sister and Mary Magdalene, and from a distance the acquaintances and the woman from Galilee and Salome, mother of James, and John, the disciple, they watched. Then Jesus said to John, John, behold your mother. And it was 12 p.m. noon. Darkness came upon the region for three hours. And at 3 p.m., Jesus cried out, Psalms 22, 1, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And knowing all things had been accomplished, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And hearing one filled a sponge with sour wine again, a popular vinegar-based drink of the soldiers, and placed it on a hyssop branch and gave him a drink. And he drank the sour wine and said, It is finished. He had been on the cross six hours. And he uttered a loud cry, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus breathed his last breath, bowed his head, and yielded his spirit. Then the veil of the temple, the 60-foot curtain between the holy and the most holy place, was torn in two from top to bottom. There was an earthquake and the rocks were split. Tombs were open and many dead saints were resurrected, appearing to people in Jerusalem. Frightened, the centurion standing in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, said, Truly, this man was righteous, the Son of God. 
It was a Roman procedure for the body to be left hanging on the cross. Yet, so bodies would not remain on the cross of the Sabbath, which began at sundown, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken so they would die quicker. So the soldiers came and broke the first criminal's legs. But coming to Jesus, they saw him already dead. So instead they pierced his side into his heart with a spear, fulfilling Zechariah 12.10. Immediately, blood and water came out. Lord, let it be real in our hearts that God so loved the world that he gave his son. God, that it would be so personal to us that we would believe on and trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, that we wouldn't live taking advantage of your grace. God, we wouldn't live for self or through sin or for society, but God, that we would live to glorify the Lord. We thank you, Lord God, for that Passover night almost 2,000 years ago. God, that it would be just as real today in your church as it was then. And it would do what it did then, Lord, that it would change lives by the power of the cross. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight, part of our series on gift givers uh, and our Good Friday communion service. In his ministry on the earth, Jesus received multiple gifts. From the very beginning of his birth, he had the herald of the angels, the worship of the wise men, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the praise and the glory of the shepherds. He would also, throughout his ministry, for those he would cast out demons, he would gain their following and their support in ministry. He would be offered up homes to sleep at. He would be offered boats to preach from. He'd be offered dinners with Pharisees and tax collectors and sinners alike, all who met him seemed to want to give him something, if anything, their whole lives. But on this day, the day of Passover, he received some gifts from us that were not so good. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, It was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And all of us, like sheep, are the ones who've strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And you have to read that and and repeat it to yourself. Whose weakness was it that he carried? Whose sorrows was it that weighed him down? Whose rebellion was it that pierced him? And whose sin was it that crushed him? If you have your Bibles, look in Matthew chapter 27, verse 27. I'll read it for you tonight. We just read through the whole story of the narrative of all the four Gospels combined together. But following the mockery of Herod, Herod being a puppet king of Rome, a half-Jew who is put there to 
oversee just a portion of Israel, Pilate had taken Jesus and scourged him, not just whipped him as was the normal offense, but a scourging was the capital offense leading to crucifixion. It was the more severe beating with the cat of nine tails and the filleting of the back and the chest, uh, almost to the point of death, and that was the, the idea. And after that had happened, Matthew 27, verse 7 tells us that the soldiers of the governor, that's Pilate, took Jesus into the praetorium, the place of the Roman government, and gathered the whole Roman cohort or battalion around him. They stripped him, they put a scarlet or purple robe on him, and after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they nailed down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took off the scarlet robe they had put on him and put on his own garments back on him and led him away. To crucify him. I'm going to talk to you just briefly about the things that Jesus was given leading up to the cross. The first thing he was given we can talk about is the reed. The reed. They took him to this praetorium, which is the seat of Roman government. And in the hall in this palace, this Roman headquarters, the place of all military authority, there he was trialed for false crimes. He's condemned by man's authority at the seat of man's power. And at the seat of man's power on the throne of man, they condemn him. Man says you are guilty. Man's throne says you are guilty. But little did they know, here stood one whose throne was in glory. And think about it this way. He was tried for false crimes. But yet he was seated with the Father in flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. His throne was clothed in rainbow and set before a sea of crystal glass. And little did they know as he stood being mocked before the legion of men's power and before the whole Roman battalion, here stood one who commanded the legions of heaven's armies. But to the one who brought the kingdom of God... He was called a threat to the kingdom of man. So they placed this reed, this mere stick, this mere shoot in his hand instead of the king's golden scepter that, that they would have in their, their thrones, and, or thrones and their crowns. In doing so, they were mocking his power and authority, saying, man, you're only weak. Your authority is only temporary. As if to say that you are no ruler of anyone But little did they know, Hebrews says, his scepter was the scepter of justice and righteousness. Revelation says his scepter, it was made to rule the nations. Genesis says that his scepter would not depart from Judah, but it would break all the scepters of the kings of the earth. And we would know that on that, after his resurrection, he would say that all power and authority had been given to him by his father. So instead of the scepter of heaven, we gave him a reed of man. And to the one who came with justice, no justice was given. So our first gift being the reed and the mockery on the throne of man. Next, we would offer him a crown. 
And while kings in our in this day would be anointed with oil and they would receive a golden crown for their glory, he was given a twisted crowns of thorns. And instead of the anointing oil on his head, he was anointed with his own blood. They gave no glory, only gore. And on his head was the very thing, the very element that God said would be a curse upon this earth. God would say, because of Adam's sin, thorns and thistles, this world will produce for you. And what we placed upon the word of God was our very own curse. Think of that just for a minute. We cursed the word of God. We place our curse on his crown of glory. But little did they know his crown, the status of his royalty, was not just merely gold, but it was majesty, glory, honor, loving kindness, and compassion. Little did they know that while earthly kings would glory in their own man-made crown, Jesus would offer crowns of victory and righteousness to those who would overcome the world. Yet to the one who brought the true name of God, he was called a blasphemer. We'd give him the reed and we'd give him the crown and then we would give him the robe. Some soldiers would come and they would put this old Roman cloak on him like what the soldiers would wear. It would be scarlet robe, but it would mimic and imitate and be a mockery of what kings would wear. And so he was dressed in a robe of crimson, signifying sin and shame on his own body. The one who just a few months back had been wearing shining white robes on the Mount of Transfiguration, having heard God's voice, his disciples would see him in the glory and the splendor of this white robe. But now he was clothed in a robe of sin. They meant to make a spectacle of him. But little did they know, here stood one who would be soon girded, revelations would say, gold with, uh, girded with a golden sash, eyes aflame, feet like glowing bronze, his voice the sound of many waters. He soon would be clothed in a robe, a heavenly robe, dipped in blood. Though they mocked his kingship, on this heavenly robe would be written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yet where Christ had offered grace, men offered disgrace. And the one who brought the Spirit of God was called a leader of demons. And so we would give him a reed and we'd give him a guilty verdict on our throne and we would give him a crown of thorns and we'd give him a sinner's robe. Then we would mock him, a gift of mockery. Repeatedly from the very beginning, he was mocked and scorned and teased and ridiculed. Even the title upon his name, King of the Jews, they would, the soldiers would be pretending to bow down and hail to him. And there quietly stood the true king of all of heaven and all of the earth. As men would mock his title, slander his name. There in a mock trial, being verbally mocked, dressed in a mock robe by a mock king, stood the true king. 
And while the demons knew and feared him, even asking permission, men would dare ridicule his honor. And they found him guilty for being who he was. His crime was being who he was. Jesus Messiah, King of Kings, King of the Jews. They felt, found him guilty by his own title. His title was a mockery to them. They called him a liar, an imposter, an agitator. But little did they know, Revelation says, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. We gave him mocking instead of mourning. And Philippians tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So think about this. To the one who wrote the law, he was condemned by those who upheld the law. To the one who established all government, he was condemned by the world's leading government. To the one who brought the kingdom of God to Israel, he was condemned by a Roman half-appointed Jewish king who only ruled even a quarter of Israel himself. But yet perhaps the worst gift of all we gave him on that day, beyond the cross and even the nails that would follow, would be our curse. He would bear our sin, our shame, our weakness, our sorrow, and He would bear our separation from God. The guilt of all of us would be upon Him, and for as such, He would be forsaken by God. I like what one author says. He says, before you can see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Before you can see the cross as something done for us, you have to see it as something done by us. But you know, when we put him on trial, even still calling him guilty, his righteousness prevailed. And while we beat and scorned him, his holiness prevailed. And while we crucified him, his mercy prevailed. And when we killed him, his life prevailed. And today, the one who was left by all and forsaken by God says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The one who was forsaken by all of his disciples and they fled away and all departed. And the one who was forsaken by God the Father for us, now risen from the dead, comes back to his disciples and says, What you have done to me, I will never do to you. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The biggest gift giver is Jesus Christ himself. We can't outgive Jesus Christ. And I'll close with this verse for us to remember tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so we might die to sin 
and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. My challenge for us uh, at, at our, in our sanctuary, our fellowship, our family this month, this season, is that we are not waiting to heaven to worship Jesus. We ought to be the best gift givers in the world, giving to Jesus Christ all that we have. And like that song says, all to Jesus, I surrender all to him. I freely give that he has come to be the biggest gift giver that we could even imagine. And though we could say and look at the the scripture and say all the people that had given him gifts, when we look at the gift that he has given, it should give us this great accolade. We should be having a parade for him in the street. We should be offering up our whole lives, our attitude, our dreams, our ambitions, all our callings. And just like this verse says, when we see that when we gave him sin and our separation and our shame, all he did was give us love and glory and intimacy with God. Jesus, the gift giver. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Father, tonight as we go to take communion, Lord, that we would take this in honor of you and your gift through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, though we gave him a reed of weak authority, we know that he holds all authority in his his staff, his, his scepter is of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And though we condemned him on the throne of man, we know that his throne rests seated in heavenly places. God, and though we crowned him with the curse of man and we called his glory shame, Lord, we know that he is crowned with many crowns. Lord, that he, on, he holds the stars and the sun in his hands, that there is no God like our God, King of kings and Lord of lords. And though we mock him, we mocked him, Lord, we mourn today, Lord, for our sin. And we worship you and we speak pleasing things to you today, Lord God. Lord, right now, we just ask you, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross. I believe in Jesus Christ. I ask you, Lord, to save me. Cleanse my heart, cleanse my soul, cleanse my mind. I accept the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I am so sorry that you had to die for me. But I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I identify with Jesus Christ, the gift giver. And Lord, I lay my life down in honor of you, O great King. Mighty are you. Wonderful are you. Beautiful are you. May we live in honor of you. I'm going to ask the ushers, would they come? We're going to worship in communion.